0: Welcome to Talking Shop, the podcast all about Adobe Photoshop, brought to you by LearningPhotoshop.cc. Here's your host, Dave Cross. Well, hello and welcome to episode 15 of Talking Shop, the podcast all about Photoshop. I'm your host, Dave Cross. In this episode, True Crimes in Photoshop. It was a day like most every day for Marjorie Rogers. After a long day at work, she let herself in the home she shared with her husband George, pondering why it was so quiet in the house. She walked down the hallway towards the office where her husband George spent many hours on his computer, opened the door only to find him slumped over at his desk. She screamed, reaching for her phone to dial 911, and George woke up and said, What are you doing? She said, I, th- I thought you were gone. And he said, no, I was just so frustrated. I had put a logo on a whole bunch of photographs and then saved them as JPEGs. And I could have sworn I'd saved the original, but then I couldn't find it. So then I spent like an hour on YouTube trying to search for how do you get logos off of JPEG files. And it was just terrible. Clearly, this was a fictitious situation, but... Was it really? Just the other day on a popular Facebook group for Photoshop users, someone shared the fact that they had done exactly this. They had put their logo on a bunch of photographs and then went to change their mind and couldn't seem to find any original. All they had were the JPEGs and couldn't figure it out and were asking for help. Well, I would consider that a a crime of omission in that perhaps that person just didn't know. But in this episode of the podcast, I want to really talk about some things that people do in Photoshop that, okay, they're not really crimes, but to go with our theme. Some of them are petty crimes that you wouldn't actually go to jail for. For example, it always makes me feel like it's criminal when I see people taking their mouse or their pen if they're using a tablet and leaving where they are on their image to go all the way over to their toolbox simply to click on a tool and then go back where they just were and go back and forth every time they want to switch tools, whereas we could easily avoid that situation by just remembering we can tap a letter a single letter for every tool. So you want to select the brush tool, you just tap letter B. If you want the crop tool, letter C, etc. And that's one of those things where it's a habit, but it's a habit that many people have developed that in the long run just takes them longer. And to me, that's criminal in the sense that Gosh, it'd be so cool to see them doing things in a way that was so much easier just simply by tapping the letter C. So i got a list here of some other things that I think people do as a habit or perhaps the way they were taught to do things that are unnecessary and cause us problems in the long run. Now, in a previous episode of the podcast, I talked about why we should work non-destructively. And it was things like being able to work more efficiently, more accurately, giving a boost to your creativity and the ability to go back and reverse engineer. So I'm not going to review all of those things, but let's go through some specific examples of things that many people do in Photoshop that I think would be perhaps done in a better way or maybe the other way to think of it is just shouldn't be done at all. For example, the number of times I see someone working and they get to a certain point and they just decide, okay, I'm gonna flatten everything now. And this goes back to this example of the person that said they couldn't find the original with their logo on it because they flattened everything and saved as JPEG. I'm a firm believer in always having a master file. Now, the reality is there are gonna be times where you won't have to ever go back to that master file, that PSD file, and work on those layers. But part of my approach is to think what's the downside to it other than yes you're going to have a bunch of larger files to save well if that's a problem for you then i'd suggest the best solution is go buy a new hard drive i mean really storage is cheap i've said this for years storage is cheap your time isn't so if i could avoid having to redo something because i had chosen to not save a psd file simply because of the file size to me that's not a good reason there will be always be exceptions. There'll always be times where you'll look at something and say, nope, I am a thousand percent convinced that I'll never have to come back and edit this one because I'm just opening the photograph and I don't know, getting rid of a speck of sensor dust on the photo. Well, yeah, in a case like that, that's fine. Just work directly on the background layer, save it. Don't worry about layers and PSD files. Yeah, fair enough, that's gonna happen. But at the very least, I would recommend that we need to at least consider should I be saving this as a master layered PSD file just in case? And sometimes the answer will be no. But many other times I think it should be yes. And for some people, it's not yes as much as it could be. So along the same lines is, is merging layers together. I'm a big believer in I'd rather have lots of layers giving me lots of options then at some point having merged layers and then later on going, mm, I wish I hadn't merged those layers. So very often you'll see me take several layers that maybe some people would merge and I might either put them in a group from an organizational standpoint, makes my layers panel look a little better or maybe make it into a smart object so it has the functionality, the look of the layers being merged, but instead I still have the ability to get to the original content. Another example is an, an old favorite: when people grab the eraser or make a selection, delete part of a layer. Again, if you're, if you know, if you're in a situation where you just absolutely know there's no possible way that you will ever need to get that information and access it again, then yeah, grab an eraser and delete areas, that's fine. But having said that, in my mind, I'm always thinking, yeah, but just in case, or do I really know? Again, maybe it's just me being overly cautious, but given a choice, Most of the time, I would say that I create a layer mask and hide areas as opposed to erase and delete them. Again, it's going to depend a lot on the situation, but at least the recurring theme here is I hope that when you're faced with a decision of should I go down this path of erasing and deleting or down this path of hiding things using layer mass that much of the time you'll at least consider going down that more non-destructive direction. Another example is applying filters. In the good old days, when we used to apply a filter, we'd see people duplicate the background layer and then apply a filter to the copy. And that way, if you ever changed your mind later, at least you had the original layer to fall back on. And although that was okay in its day, to me, a much better approach is to use a smart filter because that way the filter is going to show in the layers panel with the original control. So after months, weeks, years later, you can go back to that layer document and First of all, figure out how you did it by looking at the layers panel going, oh, that's right, I applied this filter with these settings. But also, of course, you have the ability to go back and apply different settings now i've talked about this before but this to me is one of the he- biggest advantages of smart filters i was going to say hugest but that's not a word <laughs> well it probably is but it didn't sound very good so one of the biggest advantages of smart filters is the fact that it takes away the linear nature of photoshop by nature photoshop makes you do things step one two three four five and you can undo five four three two one I've talked about that before but Smart filter changes the rules where you can apply a filter, do 10 more steps and then wonder, I wonder what it would look like if the filter had these settings instead, so you can go back and change them and it will kind of trickle through whatever else you've done. And that's a huge advantage when it comes time to things like creativity, trying different things, but also accuracy to deliberately overdo the results of a filter. So for example, you can see what you're doing more easily when you're masking. now. The other side of smart filters is there's a few kind of hidden smart filters, things like Puppet Warp and Free Transform, and something I'll talk about in a moment, the adjustments really change dramatically. They are also smart filters, even though they're not found under the filter menu. So for example, instead of applying levels or curves directly to a layer, if you make that layer a smart object and then go to the image adjustment menu and use levels or curves, those will appear as a smart filter. And that offers some really nice advantages as opposed to using an adjustment layer. I mean, I'd I'd still find lots of times where adjustment layers are beneficial, but let's say you wanted to apply three or four adjustments and have them all share the same mask. It's much easier to do that, applying those adjustments as smart filters than you have one mask shared by all those adjustments. And it's much easier to make changes to one mask and have it affect multiple adjustments at the same time all right we're going to pick up with more true crimes of photoshop but first it's time for the tip of the week This week's tip is about using libraries in Photoshop CC. If you have taken a multi-layer document and added to the library, one of the advantages is it comes in as a smart object. But what if you want it to come in in its original form, i.e. seeing the actual separate layers? Well, all you do is instead of just dragging it from the library onto your document, you hold down Option on the Mac, Alt for Windows, then drag, and when you do, you'll see you get all the original layers, not the smart object. With short tutorials, in-depth multi-lesson courses, and live Q&A sessions, learningphotoshop.cc provides the Photoshop training you need to succeed. Well, let's continue with our examination of things people do in Photoshop that are criminal. Well, again, not really, but there are better ways. I mentioned earlier about the idea of, you know, sometimes you're just going to get a situation where you have sensor dust on a photo and you just want to grab your spot healing brush and heal away directly on the photo. And that's fine. But most of the time, I would suggest it's a pretty good idea to consider using your healing, cloning, patching, any of those type of tools on a separate layer. And in fact, in the latest version of Photoshop, even content-aware fill can be done to a separate layer, which is a huge bonus. So that just gives us more opportunity to reposition, alter, mask parts you don't like, or whatever it might be, than doing things directly on the background layer. Another example that is a small little thing, but it's one of those things that can come back to haunt you at some point. If you are using a tool like, say, the lasso tool, and you choose to, you want to have a feathered selection. The way I would word it is, you really should think of is you want to end up with a selection that's feathered. And I say it that way because I see many people go to the options bar for the lasso tool and enter a value for feather, which is okay, but that means you have just changed the default setting for the lasso tool. So from now on, every single time you go to use that tool, you're gonna have some feather applied to it. Well, as long as, if you're okay with that, if you're doing a bunch of them, I guess that's okay. But many people, I think, forget about that. And then a week or two later, go to use the lasso tool, make a complex selection only to discover it's been feathered. And there's really no simple way to get out of that. So my suggestion would be a couple of different possibilities. One would be start with no setting in the options bar, have the feather set at zero. Make your selection and then right click or control click and pop up that menu and choose feather. And then you can enter in a value. And what you're doing therefore is feathering just that one selection but leaving the tool at its default. And that's an approach I would say is useful for lots of different tools where the same situation applies. The other possibility is if you know you're going to end up making a mask from your selection is to make your selection, convert it to a mask, and then in the properties panel for the mask, add the feather there by moving the slider. And that has the biggest advantage of all because that feather command is editable, meaning later on, if you go back to your psd file that of course you've saved you can continue to adjust that feather setting should you wish to here's another one that is a little pet peeve of mine and it's not a big deal but it's just one of those things where it make life easier i watched someone just recently who wanted to put a semi-see-through white box on top of a photograph so they could i think put some type on top of the white box and make it easier to to read so they made a new layer, made a selection, and then went to the fill command and filled it at 40% opacity. And as I watched them do that, I thought, well, that's that's okay if you are absolutely sure you want it to be 40% opacity, but what if later on you'd want to change it to 60 or 55? Well, you can't, because you've set your ceiling by filling at that specific percentage. So my suggestion is, and I use this term all the time, is think end up with, I wanna end up with a semi see-through white box. So I'm gonna add my new layer, I'm gonna fill that with 100% white and then use the layer opacity to change it because that way, yes, I can dial it into 40%, but even after saving, I can always look at it later and go maybe 45, maybe 62. I have that ability because I've set the ceiling at 100%. And again, that's one of those things that can apply to. To painting with the paintbrush and filling and anything else where you have a percentage available to you. Years ago, someone discovered a really cool technique in Photoshop when you have multiple layers and you want to make kind of a merged copy of that, meaning you keep all your original layers, but then make this what looks like a merged or flattened version on top. And it has people call things like stamp visible or merge visible. And it's basically holding on a whole bunch of keys Command-Option-Shift-E on the Mac, or Control-Alt-Shift-E on PC, and that takes whatever layers you have visible and makes a new layer on top. Now, at first glance, this seems like a pretty good idea because it gives us access to all the individual layers but also the ability to move on with a new layer. The problem with it is it's a one-shot deal. When you press that shortcut, it's like in that moment in time, you're taking a snapshot of your current situation. So let's imagine for a moment you had a bunch of layers and three of them were type layers. So you do that keyboard shortcut, that new layer that, appears on top is gonna look like it has type, but it's rasterized pixel-based type because it's one layer as as if you flattened or merged it. Now, what happens if you want to edit that type? Well, you have to delete that top layer, go back to your type layers, and do it all over again. And I guess that's okay if you've got lots of time on your hands, I would rather take those layers, including my type layers, convert the whole thing into a smart object so it acts as if it's one flattened layer. But of course, by double clicking on the smart object, I still have access to all the individual information, all the individual layers, including the type layer. So I can edit the type and when I save, it updates the smart object automatically. So am I saying that that's a necessary step? Not not really, but when it comes to comparing the possibilities of both, the fact that in one scenario I'd have to, every time I wanna make any change, I have to dump that layer that I created, go back and edit the originals and then make a new one. And I guess if you're used to doing that, it's okay, but I'd much rather have a more live effect by doing that smart object. now. Sometimes people say, so you're saying that's the best way to do it? And I'm not a big fan of best way, because as I've talked about with multiple guests, I remember Matt Kluskowski and I had this discussion of saying when people say, is this the best way? Well, if you get the work done that you want, then that's fine. I'm just suggesting that when it comes from an efficiency standpoint, this idea of using smart objects to me is often the best choice. Not always, but very often. So what I'm trying to instill in everyone is to at least consider using these methods. So when you are about to use a method like erasing or deleting or applying a filter or applying an adjustment directly to the background layer to at least consider these other methods that are gonna give you just a bit more control, especially, of course, if you, you know, I'm probably gonna say now, save as a PSD file, and that way you have that master file that's always available to you. So that person in that Facebook group that posted The message about having logos on all these JPEGs and was wondering how to get around it, a lot of people were making comments like, so you don't have the original? And she was kind of like, no, that's kind of the point. So most of the advice was, well, there's not a lot you can do now, but for next time, Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) So, yes, that's experience is the best teacher when you make a mistake and realize, oh, I think next time I should remember do it this way. I'm just trying to give you some other suggestions that will help you avoid those mistakes in the first place and be able to make a much more efficient document in that master file. You can always come back and edit. And the good news is there's no Photoshop police out there to arrest you for these so-called crimes crimes in Photoshop. But hopefully, if you use that way of thinking of it, you'll avoid situations that can cause you grief. And that's really what this is all about. So that's it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. As I always say, I really appreciate if you share this with other folks you know that enjoy hearing about Photoshop. And if you'd have a few moments to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review, that would be awesome as well. I'm Dave Cross. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Please subscribe and tell your Photoshop using friends. Find us at TalkingShop.show. This podcast is not authorized, endorsed, or sponsored by Adobe, publisher of Photoshop.